Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gatheringgold. To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Cheryl is at Wisdom of Anxiety, and I am at Perennials Podcast. Thank you for listening. So in today's episode, we are addressing a question from someone in our Patreon community who is so thoughtful and insightful and I think this question came up during our first virtual meetup. Monique asked this question and then she sent it to us in a message afterwards. And she said, I noticed in Gathering Gold and in another podcast, getting to really talk about places, ideas, and subjects with others, with friends. I'm wanting that for myself, but I never know how. How do you go about having deeper conversations? Not everyone wants to, is in the headspace to, or finds deep conversations comfortable. I find myself envious and also wanting to take part in the podcast because I want to have in-depth conversations where you walk away and they really get you thinking and processing things. So... I thought this was such a good question from Monique because it's something I think, I mean, I can relate to this. Like I listen to podcasts and I wish I could join in Hmm. actively in the conversation. It's one of the reasons we started the Patreon so that we could actually have conversations in real time Hmm. through virtual meetups and talk, you know, through the comments about the podcast episodes because what we're talking about is so rich and there are so many layers. The topics are so complex that I always want to hear from people about their perspectives and their questions and their thoughts on these things that we talk about. So I think it's something a lot of people can probably relate to. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems sometimes like it's easier to have deep conversations. You know, even when I was, when I was doing interviews for perennials regularly, my other podcast, it was almost like an excuse to just contact someone I found really interesting and say, hey, can we have a deep conversation for like an hour or two and I'll record it and edit it (laughs) and share it with other people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Whereas I might never have talked to some of them 
otherwise, you know? Yes. So I think this is just a longing that a lot of people have to have more depth. I think I think a lot of it is about connection. Mm. So I'm curious, Cheryl, like, what is your relationship to this, to this idea of deep conversations and longing for deep conversations? And do you ever, do you ever struggle with this at all? Hmm. With finding, I guess, willing partners, (laughs) maybe. I think I've been really lucky in my life um, to have found people friends so early on who were interested in going deep. Um, I don't know any other way to be. So if someone's going to be in my life, we're going to be having deep conversations because I think it's the only track that I run on. Um, I don't know how to do small talk. I'm not interested in small talk. I shrivel when I'm in situations where small talk seems to be required. I like try to absorb myself into the wall behind me because I like uh, I was at a <laughs> picking up Asher from a birthday party the other day and all the parents showed up and the kids weren't done yet. They hadn't had the cake yet. And so we're all standing around. I felt very awkwardly around the kitchen, all totally lovely people. And one-on-one, I'm sure it would have been great and we would have been able to talk about something of some kind of substance. But we ended up talking about swamp coolers. And <laughs> your favorite topic. <laughs> My favorite topic. Swamps are literally deep. <laughs> <laughs> literally deep. And, oh, I don't want to be spending my time this way. Um, so I wouldn't say it's been a struggle in terms of the people that I have actual relationships with. It's certainly a struggle when I find myself in situations where a deep conversation is not necessarily called for. Um, but when I think of deep conversations, I think I think we both asked that question. What, is, what does that mean? What does deep mean? And so you touched on the quality of the connection, right, that we're looking for um, a um, – like it almost doesn't matter what we're talking about with somebody, right? When the connection is there, then it's all deep. And the words and the topics are somewhat superfluous. Right? Yeah, I was thinking about that question of what do we mean when we say deep conversations because Monique talked about walking away from a, a deep conversation thinking and processing things. And I think there's kind of these two types of deep conversation. There's like the intellectual heady, like Mm -hmm. let's get into this philosophical conversation at the coffee shop. Um, And there's like the heart conversations, like tell Mm -hmm. me 
what you're afraid of, what you desire, what you long for, what hurts you, what makes you really, really happy, what lights you up, like Mm -hmm. the heart depth. And Mm -hmm. sometimes those overlap. Sometimes it's like all mixed up together, the philosophical, heady, intellectual stuff and the deep heart stuff. Mm. But it really is, I think, like that the quality of connection when you're talking to each other or even just one person's talking and one person's listening really, really well. Mm-hmm. But I think there's like a level of authenticity that also has to be present. Yes. Yes. And I wonder what authenticity means. Right. Is it vulnerability? Is it to me there's if there's not some element of vulnerability, it's also not that mm-hmm. that interesting or that deep. Um like I'm thinking about the newer friends I've made in the last few years, particularly in the neighborhood where we live. And um one friend in particular, we 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 walk all the time together now and she went through a very painful transition, um, huge earthquake in her life. And we had only known each other maybe a year at that point. But she let me in. And I walked alongside her through the worst of it. And to me, that's kind of as deep as it gets, right? To let somebody into your emotional world, especially when you're struggling, especially when your whole world has just been turned upside down. And I feel so honored when somebody lets me into that place. I think it's certainly part of the reason why I do the work that I do is that day after day, all day long, all I'm in are deep conversations with my clients. It's certainly not the same as a friend because it's not necessarily reciprocal. I'm I'm more in the listener mode um, and the offering mode and the guide mode, but but I see my job as a therapist to as largely about helping people to go deep and to go into the meaningful places, the places that are beyond the words in many ways, the places that live in the body. Um, if it's on the surface, and I think a lot of therapy tends to be just talk, which certainly has its place. I will talk and you will listen. And sometimes I, I will say the same thing over and over again for six months. But most people, when they're in the client seat, do not end up finding that ultimately fulfilling. And they know that there's more to be done. And they want to go deeper. And they will literally say, I'm looking for a therapist with whom I can go deeper, right? And so I come from this whole tradition of depth psychology. So there's the word itself in the modality. It is of depth that I was drawn to that at 23, that I was drawn to that at six. I was drawn to that at 12, right? And so then I went and did this program in depth psychology, which is all about really what's underneath the surface, what's beneath the words, what is our body expressing? So I don't know if I'm addressing Monique's question. 
I think what she's longing for and what I hear a lot in my clients and in my course members and it comes up on the group calls is this exact longing. I long to go deeper with people. A lot of people aren't interested in that. How do I find those people who are interested in going deeper? And how do we even do that? It's, it's, we don't have the template for that. It is a risk. It does require being vulnerable. So I'm curious if you could speak to that, Victoria. Like how, because I know you have very deep friendships. Like how have you collected those friends <laughs> in your life and found those people? Like you said, I think the vulnerability piece is important. Like I feel like I have been open to sharing myself with people and I try really to receive what people share with me without judgment, like with compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such – a delicate balance because you can't just say, oh, I'm going to share these like really personal, intimate details with someone and then we will have a deep conversation because I feel like we've all experienced at times someone just like kind of, you know, someone we just met like yes. telling us all this really personal, tender stuff. Yes. And it doesn't feel like a deep conversation or no. a strong connection. It feels like this person is like just kind of dumping something on us or trying to take something yes. from us. So it's not just – and I'm sure I've, you know, I've probably at some point come off like, I don't know, like I've shared too much too quickly or something too. Um so I think there has to be like some awareness, some self-awareness involved so that yes. the other person feels like you are present with them and you are open to them in the same yes. way that you're hoping they'll be open to you. And yes. I guess in my experience, some of it, like you said, it's there is like an embodied aspect to it too. It's not just sitting there with someone, like something that I find really hard is when I'm talking to someone and they start looking away, even if it's like a really quick flick of the mm -hmm. eyes, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. like that's it. I'm like, oh, I have to yes. stop talking right now. Yes. And it's the smallest little motion, but we know that. I think I read some statistic that like 70% of our communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So some of it is like it's so interesting like when someone sits with you and they're really like making eye contact and you can tell they are focused and present. I guess I've tried to do that, you know, mm. and I've tried to share of myself in a way that I try to bring self-awareness and to not just share stuff but to like be aware of why I'm sharing with someone. Mm. And then I feel like just if I take some of that risk, like that genuine emotional risk, 
And I've been trying to lay the groundwork to show that I'm not going to judge them. Then other people open up a little bit. self-reflection piece and bringing that to the conversation is is important on many levels, one of which being that um, I think there's a starting point if we want to have deep conversations with other people that we're having them with ourselves in some way, that we are in deep conversation, in self-reflection with ourselves, that we're curious about what's happening internally, our own inner world. Right. So just like we can't expect a partner to make us feel alive and light our fire, so we can't expect someone else, a friend or a partner or anybody, to take us into deep realms that we're not familiar with inside of our own selves. So when I'm talking to a friend, I can feel where the limits are, where they haven't yeah. traversed quite yet into their inner world, right? I can yeah. feel where there's a wall of pain, perhaps grief from an old loss that prevents them from talking about certain things. They're just not ready to go there and that's okay, right? I can still have a very strong connection with them, but I know that we're not going to delve into those deepest waters together and that's okay. There's all these layers of connection and depth. It doesn't have to be those deepest places. So it's it's knowing ourselves, it's being able to sense into the other. And then I think again it really is about being willing to take risks and broach those deeper places. It's like when somebody is struggling with relationship anxiety or maybe a more specific example is engagement and wedding anxiety and they are convinced that Nobody else in their circle, no sister, no cousin, no friend, has experienced anxiety before getting married because nobody else talked about it. So is it true that probably the vast majority of the people in their lives did not experience engagement anxiety? If they're not a highly sensitive person, that is the likelihood. But sometimes it happens that I'll say, Do you have any other sensitive friends? Because it's likely that they did experience it, but they're so burdened by their own shame and the taboo around admitting that they weren't just gloriously happy leading up to their wedding day, that they kept it hidden as well. So how are we ever going to bridge that gap if somebody doesn't take the risk to say, you know, I'm feeling kind of nervous about getting married. I know I love my partner, but sometimes it comes out as doubt. And I'm wondering if you ever felt that. It's a huge risk because the person could say no. I know. It's such a risk. <laughs> such a it risk. It really is. And I would, I would never encourage someone to do it if they didn't have a sense, some kind of hint, some clue that 
that the other person may have had some kind of similar struggle, right? And then you're in deep conversation too. And then you feel seen and heard and that sense of connection and I'm not alone. And I think that's so much of what people are longing for, like Monique, right? What, like what they hear between us, like what happens in the Patreon meetups, even over Zoom, right, is that sense of we see you, we get, we all get each other here. So it again, it almost doesn't matter what we talk about because there's such a like, <sighs> mm-hmm. right, like the whole dropping of the soul's shoulders <laughs> to say, I am in like-minded, like-hearted company. And from here, it's all yummy depth. Yeah. There's a certain openness that both people have to have for it to really feel like a deep, rich conversation. Even Mm. if there's like few words, you know? Yes. On either, on both ends. Yeah. There's a certain openness and curiosity and interest and attentiveness. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, a sense of feeling loved in some way, even if it's like, you know, not romantic love, not like this is my best, best friend, but when someone pays attention to you and you pay attention to them, It's like what could make you feel more loved than Mm. truly being there with each other with warmth. Yes. Yes. And that is hard to Mm. find. It is hard to find. So let's just validate that piece, right? I think you and I have both been really lucky in the friendship department. Um. And we've been able to, for whatever reason, um, have our little collection of amazing gems of friends. But it's not easy. And we've tried to do an episode on friendship (laughs) before. (laughs) And we are going to try again with an incredible guest um, on our podcast in in the fall who can probably help us do a better job. (laughs) But... um, I mean, this question isn't only about friendship, of course, but it does speak to friendship, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yes, it is a question that comes up all the time in relationship anxiety. Are we deep enough? Are we connected enough? Do we have deep enough conversations? The question really is about connection, right? Like we keep coming back to. It really is about connection. It's not about, oh, we read all the same books and we like all the same movies and we can talk for hours about Jane Eyre. That's fun, but that's not a requirement for having a deep conversation with somebody. But it is extremely hard to come by. And I wonder if it's harder now than in previous eras um, because of how surfacy we are in our screen worlds 
Right. I'm even thinking about the shift from blogging to social media and the shift that I've had to make because that's where the quote unquote conversation is happening mm. is in, you know, on Instagram that I begrudgingly joined a few years ago because the platform had shifted and blog blogs require that you actually sit down and read something that's longer than 2,200 characters, which is the maximum Instagram caption. And so I've noticed, even in the screen world, in the online world, a massive reduction in depth, at least in, in how I'm presenting my work. Because when I would post a blog, not only would people have to sit and read maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but then there'd be these really thoughtful comments. And this was also before phones. I think that the phones make things very superficial because it's a lot harder to type out a whole paragraph on a phone than it is on a computer. Right? So there'd be these in-depth conversations happening through the comments on my blog. That doesn't happen on Instagram. I don't know if there's some other social media platform that it happens on. I don't think so. And so what's happening to our capacity for depth? And, and yet, I would think the longing is stronger than ever. So 20 years ago, people read books. <laughs> and teenagers even read books. And I just looked up a statistic. I wanted to know how many teenagers actually read books. And it was like this tiny little percentage. Like, I don't know. Most teenagers read one book a year or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. so sad. And I look at my boys who are starving for more depth amongst their peers. And what they get back literally is – meme speak. Mm. The kids speak in memes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're not reading. They're not watching you know, more intellectual films and discussing them with their parents. I don't know if teenagers ever did that, but they certainly read more. That's a fact. And so reading being one of the ways that we self-reflect, that we grow empathy, that we step into other people's worlds, right? Johan Hari talks about that in Stolen Focus. It's one of the reasons why we have such interrupted focus is because people don't read. Mm. It's one of his 12. Fascinating to read the studies, the science, what's, what's act what the consequences are to not sitting down and reading a whole book. We switch, switch, switch. We read a little bit here and we hit click and switch mm -hmm. a new website and, and what that does to our brains. And so how is that affecting our ability to have deep conversations? Mm. Right? We have to think deeply first. Right. And I don't know that we are. 
It's so funny. I was just at a coffee shop this morning, sitting out outside at a coffee shop with my friend, and these two kids sat down with their dad. And my friend and I both like were staring at them because they were reading books, <laughs> like a nine-year-old girl and like a seven-year-old boy, and they yes. had like library books, and they were just sitting there reading. And we were like, "Whoa, we haven't seen that yes in a long time." And it could go for audiobooks too, right? Like Everest likes to listen. So yes. like not everyone reads right. in the same way, but it's like the sustained attention. Sustained and attention. I do think it's like that embodiment piece that we were talking about around deep conversation. It's not just about the words that you're saying. It's about slowing down because you have to slow down to notice Mm. When am I opening and when am I closing? And when are they opening and when are they closing? Yeah. Like the body language is important. If someone looks really bored, then you go, oh, I guess they don't really care this much about this topic. And maybe you try to change it. Or if someone looks really pained. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that's okay. You don't have to dig. Like Mm-mm. it's not about digging when people are not in a place where they want to talk about a certain topic. Like right. I that that's not no the goal, right? No. But you can't notice that if you're not present and slowing down and paying attention. Mm. So yes, I mean I also just think about the different kind of stages of life and it's not that it's the same for everyone, but like my 16-year-old sister who's in that, you know, teenage phase of life where she's thinking about things in different ways and everyone around her is exploring their identities and she just asks me the most fascinating questions and says the most interesting things that I, I hear her say them and I'm like, oh yeah, I used to like think about that when I was 16. Hmm. Or I think about being in college and people are taking all these classes and like talking about things really passionately. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like sometimes there's also, again, it varies by person, but I do think there are different stages of life where people might be more or less open mm-hmm. generally because of like where they are and how solidified they feel in their identity or how how much of their brain space is taken up by just getting through the day. Yes. I was just talking to my my older sister today about how with social media sometimes like we don't reach out to people as much anymore because it's like, oh well, you know, I see what she's doing on Instagram and she seems really busy and I feel like we've caught up even though we haven't actually talked. Mm. Or, you know, we're engaging with all this like noise all the time. So we maybe don't reach out to each other as much as we would without it. So like it can create connections. Like I've met people on social media that I consider friends now. I've The podcast is so enriching to me. But also people often use like social media and podcasts to feel less lonely And does that sometimes become a substitute for actually reaching out to someone and having a conversation with them? Yes, an actual conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth saying that depth, true depth, is not going to happen over text, right? It's not going to happen on a DM 
exchange. It doesn't mean there can't be some depth, right, and some opening, but then to take it to the next level requires, again, that risk of, hey, do you want to FaceTime? Or if you live close by, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to meet up for lunch? That the in-person or as in-person as we can get, even just a phone call, but I don't know that anybody talks on the phone anymore <laughs> except for me, um, that to hear somebody's voice at the very least, to see their face on the screen at the next level, to be in person at the very best, that that allows for that embodied experience to read a facial expression, the look in the eye, someone shifting away, to be, like you're saying, Victoria, slowed down, present, that maybe these are the requirements for deep conversations, not the topics, but the presence Right. You need time. And so many people time. don't have time to offer yes. anyone. Because even, I think about, you know, people have been writing letters to each other yes. for so long, centuries, right? And yes. people have had strong friendships built on letters. There's mm. There are two poets, um, Ada Limon and Natalie Diaz, who became friends basically through letters, contemporary poets. They, mm. they put out, I think, a book of poems that they wrote to each other, like through letters. Mm. And it became this whole poetry project. And it's so deep and rich. And that was all through letters. Yes. But that takes time. That takes time. And it takes, I think, you know, like finding that person who does love Jane Eyre as much as you do mm-hmm. and – I think there can be depth, you know, like if that becomes a vehicle for talking about the things that really matter to you and and to the other person. And also like being open to letting what matters to the other person matter to you in that moment. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's such a disappointing feeling when you put out a bid for connection with anyone and you're like, this thing really matters to me. And in some way, you're expressing that and the, it just falls flat. Yes. So I think when you join a book club or you um, – like my younger sisters are so involved in community theater and they have found such friendship there. And mm. they talk with their friends, you know, for hours and they talk about – you know, one thing I think that's positive is younger generations talk more about mental health and talk yes. more openly about their experiences with mental health issues. Yes. So if you – in finding like-minded people or in finding community around like a shared passion, I think there is opportunity for younger people to to talk about some of these things, but it's still hard. And it takes time of getting to know each other. That takes time too. Yes. And I want to say that as hard as it is for women, people who identify as female, I think it's infinitely harder, exponentially harder for males. Yeah. And I'm so keenly aware of that, right? Being married to a man, having two boys as my sons that it's 
um, exceedingly rare for men to be able to go deep with each other, to share of those more vulnerable places with each other. You know, yeah, they can shoot the breeze and talk about sports and weather and all of that. And and there is some bonding. I, I don't want to bash all forms of male bonding. Um, but for guys who are not those types of guys, like the three who live in my house, right, who don't follow sports and that kind of thing, it's really quite lonely and quite challenging to to find those those kindred spirits, those kindred men who are willing and capable of not just emotional depth, that's great and nice, but also the intellectual meeting of the minds. Like you're saying about your sisters, it's so beautiful that they have found this the theater community and these friendships and their tribe there. And then they can just talk for hours. They're connected and they have this shared experience of being in theater together. If it happens for boys, for teens, for men, it's so often centered around sports. But I don't know how much depth there is there. Yeah. It's so painful for men that I know who really want that. And it's so hard. And when they put themselves out there and get shot down by other men, it's really hard. Really hard. So, you know, not not to plug our own community, but (laughs) I'm going to plug our own community because (laughs) it's really special what we've created, Victoria, and all of you listening. And the two Zoom Patreon gatherings that we've had have been really special, really deep, really deep. Um, We welcome men. We welcome people of all genders. We welcome everybody who relates and resonates with this community, this way of meeting ourselves and others. And I know you're going to offer the book club. Yeah. um, yeah, At least least the first one. which is such an amazing vehicle as well right? yeah. as a way to connect and go deep. I think we should do an episode on Jane Eyre. Oh my gosh, can we? <gasps> yes, please. I would love that. I read that book, I think, once a year for 10 years, and I, but I haven't read it in years. I'd love to reread it. I still have my original copy from like 1986. And that's what's so interesting is like the way that Talking about something, you you could talk about a book or a TV show or a movie or a play. You could kind of talk about it on a surface level, but when there's that willingness and that openness, yes, the depth is just endless. And I think that sometimes we have to kind of like warm up the oven, especially with people who it's not as comfortable for them. Like I grew up in a family where we read books constantly. We listened to a ton of music. We watched a lot of movies together and we would talk about the characters and the themes and Hmm. that was just kind of baked into our family culture. But not everybody Hmm. grows up with that type of 
dinner Mm-mm. conversation, you know? And Mm-mm. I really don't mean any judgment by that because we need many different kinds of people in this world. And I am I'm very grateful for my friends who are highly sensitive, but also my friends who aren't highly sensitive, who bring a lot to mm-hmm. our dynamic. Um, yes. But like what I found is sometimes it, it takes time and it takes warming up the oven and maybe it starts with some small talk sometimes to to build a little bit of trust with that, with a person who has a harder time. Um, I think about in our dream work episode when you talked about how Everest wants to be an astronaut and explore the universe mm-hmm. and how you are like an internal explorer. Mm-hmm. And I think that for those of us who are more inner explorers and it just comes so easily and naturally to just be like, yeah, let's get in into the deep in our <laughs> conversation. Like for some people, that's as scary as it is for me to literally get into the ocean. <laughs> you know, like it's scary for me to go into deep water. Right. Terrifying. And for other people, it's like they're just like fish and they love it and they float. Yes. and they. So we all bring different things. And I think some of the best most gratifying moments I've had in friendship are when a friend who, you know, that doesn't come as easily or as naturally when they say to me, like, I'm really glad I can do that with you, that we can Mm -hmm. talk like this. Mm. But it takes patience and it takes being willing to just really see them in their goodness for for all that they are. And maybe something that seems shallow to me actually isn't shallow for them. Yes. And that takes noticing. I love what you're saying about the family culture. And I think this could be a good place to to wind down. I want to put this out there for anybody listening with young children. I think having deep conversations on some level is a learned skill. And it happens often because it's happening in the family. Like you're saying, it was baked into your family culture to watch a film, to read a book, to discuss it, discuss the characters, the plot. I see how easily Dave does that with Asher. It must be a a Finn. It must be be part of how he grew up too, right? With, With your mom as his sister. And I know it was because I know they were always reading and watching and discussing. So... If you have young children or kids of any age, I encourage you to discuss things, to not just read a book, but talk about it, not just watch a movie, but discuss it afterwards. Because we do see in our kids' friends' families, from what they report, that there's not a lot of conversation happening, especially with parents and teenage kids. And we sort of have this idea which I think is entirely wrong, that once your kids are teenagers, they don't care about you anymore anyway. It's all about their friends. Not true and not actually what they need. They need to be connected to us actually more than ever. And one of the ways that we can do that is to discuss things. So Everest comes downstairs every morning. He's very interested in in current events, what's happening in the world, as is Dave, and they will discuss right? Did you see what happened in Ukraine yesterday? Did you see what happened in, oh, and what's happening in this country? And they will talk about it. So that's a form of connection and that's certainly a form of deep conversation 
for them. For Everest and I, I am always interested in how are you feeling? What's happening in your inner world? So through all these years, he has a facility, a capacity. It's not the easiest place for him to talk about, right? That's not his most natural place is to talk, is to put words to his inner world. Sometimes he does it beautifully, Um, but he knows how to do it. And once we're, like what you're saying, like I kind of have to prime the pot and and get in and sort of ask the right questions. And then he's all in and he's right there, right? Asher and Dave, they talk about everything under the sun. They just talk, 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 talk. Largely around, well, I think a lot around um, mainstream culture and um, they'll watch a clip together and they'll discuss it. Or, you know, if a mo- we watch a movie, we'll discuss it. So I want to put that out there to people with children, to not shy away, even if it's an area where you don't feel totally confident, to push your edge so that you don't stop talking with your children, that you talk with them all the way through, as long as they're living under your roof, that you um, develop that skill, help them develop that skill of having deep conversations. That's really beautiful. And I think it's never too late, right? Never too late. Never too late, right? Even with your grown children, if you're listening. Yeah. And you have a 35-year-old or a 45-year-old. Never too late to broach it. And again, I don't think we can overemphasize this enough. It is a risk. Mm -hmm. It is a risk. And highly sensitive people are (laughs) (laughs) risk-averse. But I think taking – I think like what Dave talked about in the father wound episode of being interested in the things that his sons are interested in and learning about those things and broaching those topics – Mm-hmm. as a means of connection and not just saying, be interested in what I'm interested in. Like I did an episode of Perennials about friendship with one of my oldest friends, Jess, mm-hmm. and she said – we were talking about how to be a friend because she's very extroverted and she makes friends – she has a lot of friends and she was like, you know, you have to not just think about who would be a good friend to me, but how am I being a friend to people? Yes. You know, and I, so I just think that piece of like building trust, being interested in people, being present enough that you remember what they say to you Mm -hmm. and you follow (laughs) up and you ask them about it. I mean, some people just literally have never been asked some of these questions, you know? Yes. And so they don't even know how to answer yet because they've, they've, no one's ever asked them and it takes some time. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. I really love that piece that you are underscoring around taking interest in other people's interests. And I've learned so much of that from Dave, especially around our children. And so while I do lead with how are you feeling or what's happening emotionally with my children, I also um, am, am immersed. I'm currently immersed. I'm reading a book called A Man on the Moon, mm. which is like 600 pages and it goes through, you can cut all this if you want, but (laughs) it goes through every Apollo mission 
which I didn't even know what that meant. What are the Apollo missions? Now I know what the Apollo missions mean. And it goes through Apollo 1, Apollo 2, all the way through Apollo 17. And it is so interesting. And it is not a book I would have ever read had Everest not been my son. But I know how much he wants me to understand, like just the basics about spaceflight and the astronauts. I mean, my I'm learning so much. And of course, I still gravitate towards the relationships. <laughs> um, and I love when they talk about the relationships between the astronauts and the relationships between the astronauts and their wives. Fascinating to me. I could read endless books about that. But I am also learning a tremendous amount around about our history with with space and space flight. So Everest and I are having a whole different type of conversation because I'm reading this book and I'm underlining and I'm taking notes in the margin and I'm earmarking pages that I want to go back and ask him about and things I don't understand and things that stand out for me. And it's great. So I put that out there also if you have teenagers and you don't know what to talk to them about to, like Victoria is saying, take an interest in their interests. What are they reading? Hopefully they're reading something or your grown children. And come to them with, hey, I read this book. Let's talk about it. Oh, it's so meaningful. It's so it's so moving when someone does something like that for you. Yeah. It really is. Mm-hmm. And it deepens your connection with each other, deepens the relationship. Yeah. It becomes a bridge. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you, Cheryl. Oh, Victoria, so grateful to have these deep conversations with you that are so deep because of our connection. I could not do this in this way with anybody else. So grateful for you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you and for these conversations and for the people that I've met and had more conversations with through this Mm. podcast, through your community, through the community we're building. It's the greatest gift. And as Cheryl mentioned, we have a a book club meeting coming up in July. So if you're interested in that, you can, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash gathering gold and feel free to check it out. Thank you. Thank you.